0: Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Hello everyone, and welcome. My name is Dave Cunningham. In this episode, we go back to school. Teachers have long been a part of our lives, and we can all remember an individual whose passion left a lasting impact. With the pandemic, they've had to become more creative to get their job done. Our conversation today is with a teacher from the Limestone District School Board, and her name is Danielle Harding. Danielle, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Let's start with this. This program is about talking to folks who are passionate about what they do. You've been teaching for over 20 years. So I'd like to know what the most passionate part of your job is.
1: (laughs) Wow, that's a tough question. The most passionate part? Uh, I think it's really spending time with my students, um, getting to know them and watching them grow. And I know that sounds very cliched, but um, I'm lucky enough that I can teach students who are, they're still fairly young, they're interested in the world around them, and they just get so excited about things. And um, it's just amazing to be a part of that journey.
0: Let's go back to the beginning. Why teaching to start with?
1: Okay. that's uh, It's a long story, I guess. Um, there's just so many factors that, that did contribute to it uh first of all I do have a number of teachers in my family so (laughs) I guess always if people are surrounded by something they tend to uh gravitate towards that thing so um in my case my mom was a teacher uh she was a French teacher in high school and then she became a a vice principal so um she uh there was always a lot of teaching talk around the household and her friends were teachers and so I was really immersed into it in a young age and um I also my friends and even my family, one of my brothers then became teachers as we got older. So again, I was just surrounded by it. But I think um, another reason also is just a a more personal one. When I was a kid, I really struggled in elementary school. I had a lot of trouble focusing, so I didn't do very well. And I felt really down on myself. I felt like I couldn't do it, um, that I wasn't smart enough. Uh, so that was really tough for me and a teacher did take me aside when I eventually got to high school and spoke to me and just said, look, why don't you just, I know you can do it. You just need to try and focus. And no one had actually said that to me before. That sounds crazy, but they hadn't. So I did and I found that I could do it. Um, so it just sort of went from there, and I thought, "Wow, I, you know, I can actually do this." And someone should have said that to me before, I guess. And um, so, because of that, I really wanted to try to see if I could help other kids the same way I was helped.
0: Now, have you always taught in the elementary division?
1: Uh, no, I haven't. So I, um, I really well. First, I started teaching um, very young children. Uh, kindergarten in Taiwan, it was full English immersion. And then when I came back here, I taught adults. So um, I taught English as a second language to um, new immigrants who came to the country. And it was part of a a program run by the government uh, around the Toronto area. And that was amazing. I loved it. Um, but, uh, I think my passion was always to teach kids. So then I ended up getting a job in uh, the limestone area. So I came over here and started teaching elementary.
0: Was there anything in particular about Kingston and area that attracted you here? Uh, Other than the opportunity to work? (laughs)
1: Uh, no, actually we, um, my husband and I, and he's a teacher as well. So again, I'm surrounded by teachers. Um, we both, really uh, we applied to a number of boards and we targeted school boards that um, were in really beautiful areas such as Kingston and we also really wanted to be in an area around lakes a lot of lakes and a lot of um, forests and natural areas and also um, Kingston is a great city too so it had everything so we ended up um, getting accepted to a few different boards but this was the one we chose
0: Now, over the course of your experience in teaching, I am sure that different tools have been provided to teachers to help them do their work in the classroom. And I was reading something that you included in your bio that talked a little bit about integrating information technology into the classroom. And you had a hand in in doing a little bit more than somebody else on helping with that. So describe what it was that you were doing.
1: Okay, um, so I was involved uh, in a number of different stages. with trying to bring um, more information about how Web 2.0 tools can be used in the classroom in order to um, just enhance our teaching practice and our pedagogy, um, as well as to engage our students. So we were really, um, so I became a part of um, an initiative by the Literacy and Numeracy Secretariat Um, And with a number of other people from the Limestone Board, and then um, a number of other boards throughout Ontario, we joined this group where we were looking at um, how we could um, train teachers and um, really uh, bring forward what's available out there, um, because teachers are Incredibly busy, so we could we knew we couldn't just throw this information at them and say, "Hey, it's great out here, check it out." So we wanted to find a way. How can we um, how can we show them? Um, can we do some workshops? Uh, can we give them some release time so they can do this? So really, it was um, trying to get our heads around how we can show all these amazing tools to teachers and how they can then um, immediately implement some of these tools and these uh, practices into their classrooms. Um, So we did do a number of different workshops. We also trained, uh, we did one workshop um, with principals as well at the Limestone Board and uh, it was really an amazing experience. Um, And I've also just uh, been doing some training on um, my own as well. I'm working towards a specialist on um, the integration of information technology in the classroom. Uh, Which I find very interesting, especially because I am (laughs) online this year. So uh, that just sort of happened to me. So um, I guess it all worked out in the end that I (laughs) jumped into this. And now this year, I'm a virtual teacher.
0: How quick is the pace these days with the changes that come about with technology in the classroom?
1: It's staggering, really. Uh, There are far more tools available than anyone can really learn or get their heads around. So the best we can do is pick a few that we find are really good, um, that engage our students uh, and are also user friendly. That's incredibly important. Um, And then we just try them out. And if it works, we go with it. And we usually share with our colleagues. And if it doesn't work, we try another, but really there are just so many out there that as soon as we've learned one, there's 10 more, so we're not lacking for choice. That's a good Mm -hmm. thing. But, um, but yes, it's really incredible, um, the pace with how quickly these tools are coming out. And, um, that's a good thing. I -hmm. like having the choice. It's nice. And, uh, it's just like in the business community, right? Healthy competition gives you a lot of choice and exactly. You can go from there. Yeah.
0: There's a more fundamental tool in the classroom that I think uh, you're heavily involved with, and that's making sure that the students have food to eat if they don't have food to eat at home. And that's a program that involves providing breakfast to some and lunch to some others and working in cooperation with the food sharing program. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So uh, this is a really big thing for me. Um You know, equity is a really big thing in my classroom, and that's one of the things I've been working at, um, as well as technology. But when we're talking about food equity, you know, some kids are coming to school hungry and, you know, through no fault of their own and often not through any fault of the families, they just we need to give them a helping hand. And often we are able to do that in the school setting. So one of the things that um, I tried to get going here at the school, and um, I don't, <laughs> don't want to say it's me, there are a lot of people who have really jumped in and have helped uh, in, in an incredible way, uh, and that is getting the food sharing project up and running at our school. Um, it's an amazing project run out of Kingston, uh, run by many volunteers, and they deliver food to schools every week and um, essentially we put in our food order, uh, volunteers bring it up, and we put together some breakfast, lunches, uh, snacks for the kids. Uh, We make sure that there's food in the classrooms at all times and that is equitable and fair and everyone has equal access to it so students don't feel stigmatized if they want to have anything to eat from it. And we actually encourage other people to just grab something so no one feels uh, like a spotlight is on them if they're eating. And um, every morning, um, now I'm not doing it this year, because again, I'm virtual, unfortunately, but uh, but every morning I would uh, go in and make breakfast for the kids as well. So um, just to give them a healthy start to the day, but to make it a little bit fun too. So they would uh, come in and they would chat with each other and it would be a very social thing too, which was fantastic for them. So they would, uh, they would eat up each other's presents and they would also get to eat and, and have a good start to the day. Good.
0: And there is more to Danielle Harding than just teaching. And there are things like theater and writing and travel. And I would assume that you take little bits and pieces of those extra things that you do and bring them back into the classroom. So let's start with theater. Now, I read somewhere where you did act in a play.
1: Uh, Yes. So I have been involved in a number of plays um, and I even did a little bit of this is nothing big at all. But when I lived in the Toronto area, I was also an extra in some um, movies and shows. So I'd just be walking along the street. And I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, but yes, I uh, I have been um, acting in a few productions. It was uh, something that I was heavily involved in in university. Uh, and then i been a part of the North Frontenac Little Theater in this area for a while as well. And I um, directed uh, a play or two for them, I think one play for them. Um, And here at the school, I have also been um, involved in bringing theater to the school. So I do a play, I used to do a play every year that ended up being a lot more than I, could, uh, than I could handle at a time. So I do it about one every two years now, which I love.
0: You did a play at one point, a Norm Foster playing, called Drinking Alone, correct?
1: Uh, yes, I did. North Frontenac Little Theater, you found that.
0: <laughs> now, did you know that Norm Foster worked in Kingston?
1: I didn't know that. but
0: At CKWS on radio, and I was there at the same time. So he and I worked together. And then after he left Kingston, he ended up in New Brunswick, which is where he started his playwriting career. And I think he is the most produced playwright in the country.
1: That's incredible. I have done two of his plays with the Little Theatre. So that one, as well as Maggie's Getting Married.
0: A little trivia for the program today. (laughs) Writing is something that you do as well. So you have authored two books, and you're working on a third. One book is called Wormwood. The other book is called Angel of Shadow. And if folks want more details on the books, all they need to do is go to your website, which is dhnevins.com. Now, these are books that you read to your students in class, maybe?
1: (laughs) Oh, no, I do not. (laughs) (laughs) So this is my alter ego. Um, so my students definitely know I write books and I use I, I bring that into the classroom all the time, but not the books themselves. So <laughs> when we are talking about writing and creative writing and I talk about the writing process, uh, it's it's pretty neat. Uh, some of the parents of the students in my class have read my books, which is which is kind of cool. But um, but the kids themselves know this. Uh, it, I, they ask if I could read it to them. And I say, well, you can read it when you're older, <laughs> but this is definitely not for kids. So really, it's my outlet. I um, I joke around that I am the happy school teacher by day, but then I can kind of get everything out of my system in the evening and write about destroying the world. <laughs>
0: Now, you also have done a fair amount of traveling, I gather. We mentioned earlier that you did teach kindergarten in Taiwan, but you've also traveled in Great Britain?
1: Yes. Oh, I have. So I lived for a short time in Ireland and uh, Scotland as well. Um, And uh, my husband and I have done a lot of traveling around, mostly um, trying to see as much as we can by uh, keeping it cheap and backpacking around. We've been around the world three times so far, and I've been to 49 countries.
0: Really? Yes. Where did you live in Scotland?
1: Uh, Edinburgh. Okay. Yes, and uh, I lived in uh, just outside Galway in Ireland.
0: So, were you teach? You were teaching there as well for a time, were you or not?
1: I uh, no, I wasn't. So, I actually worked for a short stint as a bartender in Ireland, <laughs> and in Scotland, I worked as a hotel receptionist in uh, in Edinburgh, right by the castle. There, so it was a really neat experience. That was when. Um, still before I went to the faculty of education to become a teacher. So uh, it's just enjoying life.
0: What is it that uh, from traveling that you bring to the classroom? Do you bring anything from your travels into the classroom?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, i like to hope that I bring um, everything from all aspects of my life really into the classroom because they um, all of those experiences help to make who I am today, and I really want my students to just experience life, believe in themselves, try different things, see the world, learn about different cultures. So I definitely do bring that back. Um, and when we do talk about uh, different places and different cultures and, and just different experiences, it does come up quite a lot.
0: Sort of a side question here, how's Grendel doing these days?
1: <laughs> Grendel! Um, so I stopped riding my motorcycle. I did, so I named my motorcycle Grendel as a side just to fill everyone in. <clears throat> but uh, I had stopped riding uh, Grendel. So my husband does still ride. So he is the proud owner of Grendel because I begged, I begged for us still to have a motorcycle that I could ride that wasn't too high that I could get on and, and not uh, drop the bike. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so he's riding Grendel, and we sold his bike. um, And that's because I keep vowing that I'm going to get back on it, but I haven't yet. Um, Unfortunately, we do know some people that have gotten into some serious accidents recently. And I, um, I don't know if that chapter is closed for me yet. It might be, but we'll see.
0: (laughs) I I tried riding motorcycles late in life. And after I fell off a couple of times, I decided that it wasn't a good idea for me. So uh, I moved on to the four wheel uh, vehicles. Um, (laughs) Let's get back to teaching for a bit and talk a little bit about teaching during the pandemic. You mentioned earlier that this year you are all virtual. Have you had the opportunity to teach in class at all during the pandemic or has it been all uh, virtual?
1: I did actually teach in class to start off the year. Um, So in September, we weren't really sure what was going to be happening, as was the case with so many people. So we started off the school year with um, most kids here in the school, brick and mortar. Uh, We had our classes, but um, we just really, it was a waiting game and we really had to wait to see how many students... Uh, we're going to be opting for virtual. How many were planning to come back? And a lot of parents were under, undecided as well, for good reason. They just didn't know what was going to be happening or what a school was going to be like. So what ended up happening was a lot of um, students did decide to go virtual. So that ended up affecting the uh, brick and mortar schools because we uh, then found ourselves needing teachers for these all these virtual learners. Uh, and then in the actual schools themselves, there were no longer the need for all the teachers. So we needed to uh, do a reorganization where we uh, switched the classes around and a number of teachers were taken out and put into a virtual setting. Uh, and I was one of those teachers. Uh, in fact, a few of the teachers from our school ended up being switched over. So, yes, I did start in a physical school and then we switched things around. And that was very that was pretty hard for a lot of people, um, as well The, the students found it difficult as well to start with a teacher and then, you know, you get comfortable and then they have to switch and everything's changed. Um, the teachers at our school and in fact, everyone I've met, they're all lovely, but it's still a very hard transition. So, um, so yeah, so I ended up doing both.
0: Now, what grade are you teaching this year?
1: Uh, I started with a grade two, three, and physical, the physical school. And now I'm teaching a grade four virtual.
0: Are you teaching the same kids every day?
1: I am, yes. Okay. Yes, so I have, it's very similar to a regular classroom. So I have the uh, the same core group of students and they will have a separate teacher that they will, um, so they will leave my virtual meeting and then go to a separate teacher for French And uh, for their once a week music class that they set up. And then they come back to um, my meeting for the rest of the day.
0: Now, those of us who sit at home and watch the news, we see stories about teachers in the classroom, but they are usually 30 second clips, and you don't really get a good sense of what you're doing in the classroom. And I'm curious to know what the challenges are for a teacher teaching virtually.
1: Wow, there are many challenges. it's hard to really get my head around everything. Uh, first of all, the hours—I'm um, so I'm putting in about eighty hours a week. I would say, and most of my colleagues are doing the same. The problem is, um, elementary school really isn't meant to be done this way. There aren't the resources. Um, the kids, you know, they're they're young. They have a short attention span, they can't just sit and stare at a screen, so we're constantly trying to come up with things to keep them engaged, to keep them learning, um, and also to retrofit all the materials that we have for a physical classroom and make it so the kids can access it and work on it and do something in some kind of format that we're still able to see and access. So what we are finding we're doing is we're spending our full day teaching with the kids. We're on with them live doing, um, you know, keeping them engaged and talking to them and keeping everything going. And then once school's done for the day, we are then (laughs) trying to get all these materials and scan things and, and just kind of retrofit everything for, uh, trying to fit the next day. The other challenge is that, um, not all the students are in live learning with us because everyone has a different situation. Not everyone's able to, um, to do the live meet that we do. So some of them, um, their parents might work shift work or their parents might need to help them at different times. So they are, their schedules don't jive with ours. So we need to also provide separate, um, an entirely separate work, an entirely separate bit of curriculum for those students as well. So ones who are going to be logging on off outside the hours. And we found that, especially with elementary, it doesn't really fit. They can't just look at the materials and know what to do because there's no teaching that goes along with it. So there's that extra challenge there. So I find from six o'clock on, I'm usually preparing that stuff. And then there's the kids who aren't doing that at all and are doing strictly paper packages. So there's also creating um, a full program for those kids who are not going to go on a computer at all. And um, their homeschool will print off whatever I sent to them. Um, And it can't just be a couple worksheets. It has to be a whole thing. It has to be uh, drama and arts and everything that um, they are getting a paper version of that they will then send back. Uh, And again, we don't actually have the resources for this. So we just have to um, conjure it up, let's say.
0: So do you get the sense that the students would be falling behind based upon the way that you have to teach these days?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we're putting in as much as we can and the kids are working as hard as they can. And again, it's just the situation. But yes, unfortunately, because it uh, trying to do if you could just sit and work on a worksheet or. Um, work in group work in uh, an actual classroom, you could get so much accomplished. But if you're just looking at trying to manipulate things on a screen, you know, it's fun to do for one thing, but trying to do every aspect on a screen takes so much longer. So it takes um, much more time to cover a a single concept. And particularly when we're looking at uh, younger students at the elementary level, it really doesn't work trying to teach these concepts. It just takes everything, takes so much longer uh, in order mm-hmm. to do that. So um, I do hate to say it, uh, but yes, I, I I do believe that it's, it's hard to do the same amount of teaching that we can do when we are
0: face-to-face. For those of us who don't have kids in class right now, describe for us, because we hear a lot about it in those news stories about the business of we need to put the kids in the classroom. And the topic is social interaction between the kids and how important that is. Can you sort of give us your take on that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it is crucial, I think, to a students' development to be able to interact with with other kids. Um, Kids are growing and developing so quickly at the elementary level, at an age. So if we're talking about a span of a year, that is incredible in their... um, you know, in their stages of development. And a lot of that is social and emotional. Um, And that comes from interacting and um, talking with friends and joking with friends and making mistakes with friends and arguing with friends. But all of that, um, you just can't do it the same way in a virtual environment. So this whole thing about getting kids back to school, I think is so important, Um, or just finding ways where kids can connect if they can't. And I know that in a lot of instances, um, you know, we have to be really careful of our health, and some families just can't send their kids back to school. They have mm-hmm. to protect themselves and their families, and they have to, they're they're worried about what um, someone might catch or pick up or bring back to someone at home. So I know it's not always the case, always possible, um, but it just even picking up the phone or talking to someone online, is just. As often as kids can do it, it's so necessary, or going out to a park and even if they're a long way away (laughs) playing with kids yelling across the field to them. um, I believe they really, really need to do that. Absolutely.
0: When I was watching the news I was quite surprised when I would see kids being interviewed by the reporter. And the kids would say, the thing I miss most about school is my friends. And that's something that I was sort of surprised. At. I don't know why, but I was just surprised that this is something that I kept hearing from a lot of different kids.
1: Yes, that's a really big thing. And, you know, children are so dynamic and the amount of interactions they have in a single day at school or again in a park or anywhere is. Uh, it's just incredible. And, you know, they're happy, and they're laughing, and they're crying, you know, the good and the bad and all of that. It's just, it's so important for their own um, development, but their own mental health. And every like they just really need each other. They mm-hmm. need other people, and they need that to grow.
0: How anxious are you to get back into the classroom and get things back to normal as normal, <laughs> as whatever that definition is going to be?
1: I'm very anxious to do so. Uh, I can't wait until that day. And I know I am not the only one. Um, So there are uh, even my colleagues here who are at the brick and mortar school. And you can probably see behind me, I am working out of the school as well, uh, just an empty classroom. Uh, But my colleagues who are uh, around here on either side of me, I know, can't wait as well because, um, you know, even being within an actual school, With kids split up and all over the place, it affects the dynamics within a school as well. So we have classes here where it's a great, you know, JK, SK, grade one and two all together in one classroom because that's based on our numbers. We have a grade one, two, three class. So all of that's so hard. So to have everyone come back, to have regular classrooms where we can teach, we can interact, we can laugh. um, I'm looking forward to it so much. I absolutely can't wait.
0: Well, here's hoping that uh, we can all get those needles in our arms and we can all get back to doing the kinds of things that we really enjoy doing. So I want to thank you very much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your show, Dave. I really appreciate it. Take care. You too.
0: The music for the program is Stasis Oasis, a tune written and performed by Kingston musician Jim Ailsworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of our episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast Facebook page. This is Dave Cunningham from Kingston, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Until next time.